right? Hey, man, I'm super excited to be spending some time with y'all this morning, diving into the book of James. As you just saw, we are in a new series, kicking it off this morning. Um, but before we dive into that, what I want to talk about first is we're about to, over the ne this next couple months, this summer, dive into a lot of scripture. And here's why. Because as a church, we believe in the power of the Word of God. We believe that it has the power to transform hearts and to transform lives. And so if you don't hear any words that I say today, like I'd rather that that's okay as long as you hear the Word of God. And as long as you read the Word of God as we read along with it today. And over the summer, I just ask that as a church, we would have a belief, a newfound belief that the Word of God can transform us. So I'm super excited to dive in and read some of it today. But before we do, I just want to ask you a simple question. How many of y'all are, are pumped that it's finally summer? Anybody? Anybody? Like, come on, I'm so excited. Like, it's hot outside. Like, that's super nice. Sometimes it's too hot, but that's okay. Like, I, I love the summer. I don't know about y'all. I love going to the pool. I love going on vacation. I love being outside. I love summer a ton. And uh, one thing I love about summer is I love going to the beach. Any other beach people in here? Yeah. Like, the mountains are okay, but they don't have an ocean. And so, like, you know, I don't, I, I, you got to work for the mountains. I don't get it. I don't get why people like It's fine. That they're fine. The beach is better though because you can just chill. But some of you, like, you like to really chill when you go to the beach. You know, like, you like to go and you set up your lawn chair and you sit in the beach and you sit in the sand and you, you don't do anything the whole day, right? You just sit there and you have a book maybe and maybe you'll read a little bit of it and you close your eyes and all of a sudden it's been eight hours, okay? That's great for you. That's not how I do the beach. I don't get it. I can't do it. I get restless, okay? When I go to the beach, I got to do stuff, okay? So I got to go. And I got to play games. Like I got to play some spike ball or throw a frisbee or play football or do anything but just sit there. Like I would rather like roll around in the sand. I don't know. I can't do it. I can't just sit in a chair for hours on end. I get burnt enough as it is just standing there. So I can't do that. And so I try to find as when I go to the beach, just anything that I, I can do. But sometimes you're not with the people who want to do that. You know, sometimes you go to the beach and you're like, Ooh, I'm the only one who doesn't just want to sit here all day, every day. That's awesome. And so I had to like, get creative, you know? Um, I'm an only child, and so when I go with my parents, they don't ever do anything. So I'm like, I got to find ways to do stuff. So I decided, all right, I'll try to fish. I'll try to fish off of the beach. And here's the thing, I, I don't fish. I'm not good at fishing. I don't really know how to fish. And so uh, I'm just going to be really honest. I've just like tried, and I never catch anything, and it's probably good reason behind that. But I try to fish just to do anything. And um, I, I found that like fishing uh, and deep sea fishing is a lot more rewarding. I don't know about if you've ever been deep sea fishing, but there it's like someone says, drop it right here. And I drop it right there. And then all of a sudden there's a fish. And I'm like, this is great. Why is nobody, why does everybody not just do this? This is fantastic. And so uh, my, my dad and I like love deep sea fishing. And so growing up, uh, we went deep sea fishing like once a year. And a couple of years ago, my whole family and I were down at the beach and we decided to take a deep sea fishing trip as a family. Okay. And so uh, if you've ever been deep sea fishing, this is kind of how it works. You wake up super early, like way too early in the summer, way too early on vacation and uh, way too early for any day in life. And you wake up and you're like, all right, I got to go get on a boat. Okay. So you get on a boat and all it's smells like is bait and it's not pleasant and you get on the boat and you start going out. And if you've never been deep sea fishing, let me tell you about it. You go out like 20 miles, okay? You don't see land. You're just in the water, okay? It's kind of terrifying. And you're just there in the boat, in the water for 
like way too long, like hours on hours on hours on hours. You're in this boat and uh, you're just fishing. And so we went out and we went deep sea fishing and we drove like an hour and a half out into the water where you couldn't see land and no one knows to rescue us if we die and we're just out there. And uh, all of a sudden we're fishing, we drop lines and like an hour into our six hours of fishing, I feel a raindrop. Oh, okay. You know, it's fine. It's rain. We're in, we're in the ocean. You never know. Then you feel another one. Oh, it's still raining. Okay. Picks up a little bit. And then all of a sudden I hear the captain say something I never want to hear again for the rest of my life when I'm on a boat in the middle of the ocean where you can't see land. I hear, a storm's coming. Pick up your lines. We got to go. That's terrifying. Okay. I'm like, what? What do you mean? And so like, we pick up our lines and we get in the boat and we start like booking it back to land. And uh, I see what's ahead of us. Dark clouds, lightning, thunder, just like pouring down rain. And I'm like, why are we driving into this? It feels like we should drive the other way. Like, why, why are we turning back to the land and we start driving into this storm? Okay, here's the thing. Here's some backstory about me. Uh, we're on this small boat. And there's seven of us. There are five seats. Guess who didn't get one? Me. Okay, so me and my cousin have to go to the front of the boat that's not undercover and sit on a cooler Clearly, my parents don't care about my life. I'm on a cooler, and it coming back in to a storm, and, I mean, every wave we hit, I'm just airborne, like, trying to grab him, get back down. Like, wind is in the face. You can't open your eyes because it just feels like pennies are just being chucked at your face over and over again. Like, we're just driving in, and I'm like, I'm going to die today. This is it. Jesus, I'm coming home. You know, like, I was ready. I was ready for it. Uh, and here's another thing you need to know about me. I get seasick. So this was a really fun experience. So I, uh, I, I literally, that morning, get to the boat. I say, hey, Captain, uh, I, if, if it's, there's going to be like a storm or any kind of bad, like big swells, big waves, I probably won't go. I'm just gonna be honest, I don't have my seasick medicine. Like, I'm not trying to go and hate my life all day if it's gonna be bad. He's like, no, 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 calm waters today. That man is the spawn of Satan, okay? We're on the boat, we're coming back, and when I'm hitting seven foot swells, all I'm thinking about, I'm gonna punch this guy in the face. I'm gonna punch this guy in the face. And we are in the air, and it was terrible. Just still wave after wave after wave after wave after wave, and we are just, just airborne at mercy of the waves. And there's nothing I could think about, there's nothing I could do. All I had to do was try to hold on for dear life and try to not fly overboard. Okay, this was my life. And today I want to talk to you guys and for us to discuss what it means as followers of Jesus to walk through storms in life. And how so often it can feel like it felt like for me on that boat. We're just holding on for dear life. And after wave, after wave, after wave, after storm, after wave hits us, all we can think about is the wave. It, it controls us. It dictates our every move and our every thought, and all of a sudden, we are at mercy of the waves, just like me and my cousin were in this moment. It feels like the horizon is nowhere in sight. There's just more storm coming. Today, I want to have a real conversation about how to handle trials as followers of Jesus. A real conversation about how do we navigate these storms? How do, we, how do we walk in and walk back out the other side in a way that brings us hope, in a way that brings us joy? Because oftentimes, we don't know how to walk into storms and approach trials. We're just left being stuck, hitting wave after wave. We don't know where to go. And all of a sudden, it dictates our every move. And when this happens, it can lead to us becoming seasick, can't it? You might be like, what do you mean, seasick? 
are you talking about? Well, if any of you have ever been seasick, if you haven't, the Lord loves you more than he loves me. But if you haven't been seasick, it's the worst. And you're on a boat, and all of a sudden, you're lightheaded, you're nauseous, and you just hate life. When we're in storms and we're in trials and it feels like we're, we're at mercy of the waves, all of a sudden we can become seasick, right? Because those waves and those trials and those storms, uh, all we can think about is, is what's happening in that moment. We get lightheaded, we get sick to our stomach, our minds just race with thoughts about what's in front of us and what's hitting us over and over and over again. And all we long for is to get out of the waves and onto stable ground, but sometimes it feels like it never comes. See, today I want for us to rediscover how to navigate trials, how to navigate storms, and to learn to change our approach to trial from dreading them to approaching them in expectancy. This week is the first week of a series called uh, that we're doing as a church where we're walking through the book of James. And uh, man, we're super excited about this series. It's going to be longer than normal series probably are at Stone Creek, but it's because James has so much goodness that we need to dive into. And I love the book of James because James is just straight to the point right? He is just blunt. Like, we'll we'll just be honest. We're an honest church. Like, you read some of the Bible, you're like, I have no idea what that means. Like, yep, no idea. I'm just going to skip past that page and pretend I didn't read it, and we're going to keep going, and I don't know what it means, right? Like, that happens. It's okay. Like, the Old Testament's got some of that. We can be honest. But then the book of James is not that way. It's just like, boom, blunt, in the face, okay? And that's why I like James. Like, just tell me what I need to know, okay? And James does that. And so, but the reality is a lot of people look at the book of James and they talk about how practical of a book that it is. See, the book of James teaches us how to not only talk the talk of faith, but how to walk the walk of faith. And I don't know about you, but as a follower of Jesus, I want to be someone that somebody looks at and says, yeah, they don't just talk that talk, they walk that walk. Don't you? And don't you want to be someone that they look at and they go, oh yeah, all those things that they say, like when they actually hit the trials, when life actually goes wrong and goes bad, they still stand where they said they did? Don't you want to look that way? Man, as a church, we, we long to look that way. See, as, as a church, we long to look different than the world outside of it. We long to be people of hope and people of light and people of life. And and James is looking at us, telling us, hey, we need to look at trials differently. So this summer, we're going to dive deep in it, and we're going to learn how to walk the walk of faith, because it starts with us. But before we dive in, I want to kind of give you a little bit of backstory on the book of James. See, James is actually the half-brother of Jesus. Okay, so I I want you to imagine that for a second. James grows up next to Jesus every single day. Like he, he knows that he was, had a miraculous birth, that he healed people, that he made lame people walk. He raised people from the dead. He turned water into wine. Like he was a miraculous human being. And then there's James. You think you're not the favorite child. <laughs> right? like, can you imagine James just sitting there looking at Jesus every day and be like, yep, I can't do that. No, I literally can't. No, literally, I can't. I can't raise that guy from the dead. You can. That's weird. Okay, cool. Like, that's awesome. So James had to grow up next, er, next to Jesus every single day. He's his half-brother. But the crazy thing about this is you'd think that because he grew up next to Jesus, he would, like, be Jesus' number one cheerleader, Jesus' number one fan, Jesus' number one follower. But actually, James didn't believe that Jesus was who he says he was until after he resurrected from the dead. So think about this. His whole life, through all the miracles, through all the stories of life change, through all the followers, James didn't believe. Until Jesus was put on a cross 
James saw it. He was put in a tomb. James saw it. And three days later, he rose from the grave. And James saw it. And he looks at him. He says, okay, you are who you say you are. And it changes the trajectory of his life. See, it wasn't until he saw the resurrected king that his life began to change. And for some of you, maybe that's the boat you're in today. And maybe you came in here and you carried some baggage and, and you've seen friends, uh, stories of life change happen and you've seen miracles happen in your family and you, you've heard about this Jesus, but it's never been real to you. Maybe you're like, oh yeah, no, I, I know that he's done that for some people. Some people say that they have, but like for me, he's just, he's just Jesus. Like he's this historical figure. Can I, can I invite you to see him as a different, in a different way today? Can I invite you to see Jesus as the resurrected king who took the cross for you, who paid your penalty, who endured every trial possible so that you could have life and hope through yours? Can I invite you to see Jesus in a light of resurrection instead of a light of just who he was? And can we believe that Jesus is who he says he was today? See, James believed this. And he, shortly after, he wrote the book of James. And so this is new for him. Like following Jesus, this is fresh for him. And so it's a, it's a really cool book because it's got these different perspectives. He's got the perspective of growing up with Jesus and not believing he is who he says he is. So approaching the trials that he walked through without faith, approaching uh, his situations and his circumstances without faith. But he also, has, uh, the, he also has the sight of now seeing Jesus and having his life be transformed by him. And he's writing to this group of Jewish Christians of all nations, and he's saying, hey, this is how we practically follow Jesus and how we walk the walk. So here's what I want to do. I want to dive into some scripture today. I want to dive into the book of James, and I want for God to just speak to you through it, and then we'll kind of go back and we'll unpack some of it. But we're going to read the first 18 verses of James right now, and then we're going to come back and break it down. Y'all ready to go? Let's do it. Let's do it. All right, James 1. James 1. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes in the dispersion, greetings. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He's a double-minded man, unstable in all of his ways. Let the lowly brothers boast in his exaltation, and the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass, its flowers fall, and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he's lured and enticed by his own desires. Then the desire, when it's conceived, birth, or when it's conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it's fully grown, brings forth death. Don't be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. 
Now, I know that's a, that's a lot of themes and a lot of words and a lot to unpack, but so I want to go back to the beginning and kind of break this down section by section, and let's discover together what James is trying to say to us about how we should walk through trials, especially in the storms. So back to verse 2, he starts out by saying, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. See, James starts out by saying that as followers of Jesus, when we're presented with a trial, when we're running into a storm, that we should have joy. Joy? I don't know about you, but when I go through the trials in my life, I don't think of, I don't think of the word joy. When I've been through some of the hardest seasons in my life, joy is not the first word or even the hundredth word that I think of. I'm thinking pain. I'm thinking hurt. I'm thinking humiliation. I'm thinking stress. I'm thinking all the words except for joy. But James is saying, count it all joy when you go into trials. So as followers of Jesus, what can that mean for us? What does that look like practically for us? How do we find joy when it feels like our life is spinning a thousand miles an hour? I love how the New Living Translation actually words this part. It says, consider it an opportunity for great joy. It doesn't just say count it all joy. Consider it an opportunity for great joy. See, James isn't saying that when we hit trials, we just all of a sudden need to be joyful. He isn't saying, hey, throw on a fake smile and act like everything's okay and keep going on with life. This isn't some kind of a pull, your boot, pull, your, pull yourself up by your bootstraps kind of thing. It's not some self-help book. Like joy isn't just positive thinking. That's not what we believe. He's not just saying, hey, okay, be joyful, go in peace. He's saying, hey, you need to consider, uh, consider an opportunity for great joy when you face trials. He's saying that as followers of Jesus, we should have a joy that no one else has when we face trials. You know why? Because we have a hope that no one else has. We have a hope that no one else has. And his name is Jesus. See, people who don't know Jesus, when they go through trials, like, I would understand why it's super stressful. What do you cling to? But Jesus is our hope. He's our anchor, he's our answer, and he's our solution. And just and, um, it's not going to make it all better, but we have something to cling to in the storm. So we all know that when we walk through trials in life and storms in life, our faith can be easily tested, right? Like when you get that bad diagnosis at the doctor, all of a sudden your faith in the power of prayer is tested, isn't it? When, when your heart is broken, or you lose someone that you, you love, all of a sudden your faith in God being redeemer and healer is put to the test, isn't it? And when you lose a job, when your world is shaken, when you're thrown off your norm, your faith in, in the fact that Jesus directs our paths and, and, and is good and has the best for us, it's, it's put into test. As followers of Jesus, I don't want for us to get this, to, to misconstrue this. I want for us to understand that he's not promising us an easy life. Like nowhere in scripture does it say, your life will be easy. Thanks. You know, it doesn't say that. Instead, it actually promises the opposite. See, following Jesus, while yes, is the greatest decision anybody could ever make, it also leads to some of the hardest lives here on earth that we can have. Think about it for a second. See, the enemy, his desire is to kill, his desire is to destroy, and his desire is to steal, 
Right? And so, and so if we're following Jesus and we're believing, oh, hey, God is good and Jesus is victor over this enemy, over Satan, and like sin has been defeated, shame's been defeated, and I have life, what's he going to do? He's going to throw everything at you to make you question the goodness of God. He's going to throw everything out to you to make you question that if Jesus is who he says he is. He, the Bible doesn't promise an easy life, but it promises a hope-filled one. It doesn't promise an easy life, but it promises one that's full of real joy and real life in eternity. See, because of that, what James is saying right here is that when we see trials and storms, he's saying that we should not see them as devastation, but instead an opportunity. Not just devastation, but an opportunity. See, as followers of Jesus, I, I, I just think that there's something that's special here. When we walk through trials, it should look different. And, these, and James says that these trials and these storms are going to test our faith. But in that testing, it produces steadfastness. Everybody say steadfastness. So I was doing some research on like the, the origin of this word, what this word means. And I love the way this one commentary uh, describes steadfastness. It says, it's a firm loyalty and unswerving dedication. Immovable irrefutable, unchangeable, unalterable, and completely and utterly dependable and determined. So what I want for you to know, church, is that we walk through trials so that the foundation of faith that we stand on can become stronger. We walk through trials, and one of the reasons that we walk through these trials is so that the foundation of faith in Jesus that we stand on can become stronger. Think about your marriage for a second, or a relationship that you're in, or a friendship that you have. Think about these for a second. What happens when you go through trials and lean on Jesus? It becomes stronger. Right? When you go through trials together, all of a sudden you have to rely on each other. It builds reliance. It builds trust. It builds tenacity. It builds brotherhood and sisterhood. It, it builds faith in the other person. I'm not saying to go seek out fights and seek out storms, but when they come and your hope is in the right place, all of a sudden it builds each other up. And the same is true with faith in Jesus. See, the reason we should view trials as this joyful opportunity is because we have an, a foundation in him that is unswerving and immovable. The person of Jesus isn't shaken by the, the waves of the storms that we walk through. He's constant. He's our anchor in the waves. But what, ha what can happen so easily is when we get to these storms, all of a sudden, like, we believe that, but we lose sight of that, don't we? We lose sight of the fact that he's good and that his plans are for us and that, uh, that yeah, he's going to get me through it. Like, all of a sudden, we don't have that faith anymore. It's easy to have that faith when the storm's behind us, right? Oh, yeah, I believe. He got me through it. Let's go. He did it. Or when the storm's ahead of us, we can prepare ourselves. And be like, okay, God, like, I know it's coming, and we're going to get there together, and I'm going to pray every day, and i got community around me. But when you're out in the middle of the ocean and all of a sudden a storm hits and you weren't prepared for it and it drops in your lap and your life is in shambles, it's really hard to go, yeah, God, you're good. Yeah, God, I believe you're going to do something through this and let me see this as a joyous opportunity for me, to, for me to watch you work. It's not easy. And James knows this. And he speaks to the approach that we need to take in verses 5 through 8. Let's revisit it. It says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. But I'm asking faith with no doubting. For the person who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. 
For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He's a double-minded man, unstable in all of his ways. Hey, don't, don't miss this this morning. Don't miss this. What God just says right here is that he is accessible. You don't serve a God who's some far-off deity that you have to work hard to get back to. You don't serve a God who's, who's just like, hey, I know you're down there. Figure it out. You got it. Put the team on your back. You serve a father who says, hey, let me help. Hey, you're in a storm. You're in a trial. You don't know what to do. Ask me. Ask for wisdom, and I'm going to give it to you. If you've ever read the book of Proverbs, the book of Proverbs is just full of reminders over and over again that if we ask God for wisdom, he will respond. So often in trials, we're just like, ah, oh, I'm just going to get through it. I'm going to put my head down. No one needs to know. I'm going to get through this storm alone. What if we just turned to Jesus? What if we just asked him for wisdom this morning? See, oftentimes we go through storms. And we, we, we get through it, but then we find ourselves in the storm again. And we keep getting the same results over and over and over again. And do you, do you know what the definition of insanity is? You've heard it. Doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result. But, and we know this, but why is it that so often we still go with the trial and we're like, why, how am I back in the same place, back in the same storm? Could it be that you haven't just said, hey, Holy Spirit, would you come in and just transform me? Would you transform this situation? Hey, would you give me wisdom that I don't see right now? Would you discern my thoughts? Hey, would you put people in my life that would help me navigate this? What if we changed our approach to the way we approached trials and the way that we approached storms? See, when we find ourselves in the same situation over and over again, um, and we don't do anything about it, it's kind of like learning to drive a car. You know what I mean? I don't know about you, but uh, when I learned to drive a car, it wasn't my dad in there because we just, like, he couldn't handle it. He was too impatient. And my mom gets in the car and, like, wasn't much better, but she was a little bit better. And we get in the car and I start learning to drive and, you know, like, it's my mom. And so, like, my mom and I would, like, fight a little bit. And so I'd be in the car and I'd be driving and she'd tell me to do something. I'm like, I'm not doing that. I do what I want. Do what I want when I want, right? I get to a stop sign. I had this weird habit of, like, not wanting to stop at stop signs, okay? So, like, I'd see a stop sign. I'd be like, no cop, no stop. I'm driving, okay? And I hit the stop sign and I keep going and my mom would just get very upset with me. She said, Sean, if you don't stop at this stop sign, I'm going to kill you, okay? Like, and I'd be at the stop sign. So all of a sudden, you know, one day my mom's not in the car because I got my license somehow. I passed the test. I don't know. And I started driving this car and I get to the stop sign. I'm like, no, come, no, stop. I'm out. And then I got hit. <laughs> so, you know, it's not good. <laughs> so if I would have just listened to the wisdom of my mom over and over again uh, and not, not tried the same thing over and over again, maybe I wouldn't have got hit by a car, Okay. And I know it's a crazy example, but it's kind of what we do with storms sometimes. We see a stop sign, God's like, hey, stop. Stop. Try something new. Stop. Come to me. And we're just like, nah, run the stop sign. And we get hit over and over and over again, and we don't change our approach. We got to change it. We got to ask God for wisdom and say, hey, let me just slow this down. Let me come to you. Let me ask you to help navigate this storm. And then James compares the two different approaches that we can have when we get to trials. He says that we can either approach trial in faith or we can approach trial in doubt. And here's the thing. I'd I'd be shocked if anyone in the room goes, yeah, I'm just going to approach this trial in doubt today. Like, I don't think any of you go to God and you're like, 
hey, God, yeah, I just doubt you right now. So uh, I'm going to handle this one on my own. Thanks, peace. You know, I don't, think, I don't think any of us do that. We all want to approach it in faith. But when it comes, uh, the, the, the way that we approach the storm, like sometimes it's just not the reality that it's approaching in faith. We, we, not even, we might not even have our mind around the fact that it is doubt, but it is doubt. And so we have to learn how to change that to expectancy for a joyous opportunity in the trial instead of doubt and denial. See, denial would look like asking the question, when will this be over? Gosh, God, when will this be over? Expectancy would be turning that question to, how is God about to move? Yeah, this is hard. This is brutal. But like, God, like, move. I need you. How are you about to move? See, denial looks like bottling up our thoughts. It looks like putting on a fake smile and acting like everything's fine. Expectancy looks like consistently praying that God would give you strength and give you peace and give you wisdom. Denial looks like having a closed-off mind. But expectancy looks like opening up your hands and your heart and your lives to the Spirit of God and saying, hey, you direct my every step and I'm not walking until you do. See, denial leads to destruction. Expectancy leads to exaltation. Doubt is pessimistic denial. But expectancy is bold faith. Doubt, when you doubt, is just pessimistic denial. But when you expect God to move, it's a bold faith. But doubt traps you. It's like being at a four-way stop or a roundabout. Any of you ever been caught behind that one person at a four-way stop or roundabout and they just are the most indecisive human beings in the world? And maybe it's some of you, I don't know. But you're at that four-way stop, that roundabout, and you're just like, and go. Nope. And go. Nope. Please go. Nope. I'm going to honk my horn, but I love the Lord, so I'm not going to do it. And they're like, go. All right, I'm starting to love the Lord less and start to honk this horn more. You know, like you're just, you're just stuck there and you're like, you go, no, you go, no, you go, no, you go. And no one ever goes. Or maybe you get to the four-way stop and you're, you're, you, got, you get there at the same time as that one person, you know, and you're like, do I do it? Are you doing it? Am I doing it? Okay, you go and then they flash their lights. So, okay, cool, it's my turn to go, but then they start going, so you stop and you hesitate, and it takes like 10 minutes to get through the four-way stop. You know, like, when, when, we, when we doubt, it traps us in our situation. It traps us in our circumstances. See, doubt and trial makes you stuck in it. Doubt is believing that God is not good. It's not believing that God's good. It's not believing that God has his best for you. That's what doubt is. And just like when I was on the boat, it puts you at the mercy of every wave that you go through in the storm that you're in. See, doubting is the quicksand to destruction. You ever heard quicksand? You start sinking and sinking and sinking until all of a sudden there's no air to breathe anymore. How many of us have been in that situation in a storm? It feels like we're sinking and sinking and sinking and the the breath that we have to breathe is getting further and further and further away. It's because we're doubting, not having this bold faith. See, faith, faith is different. Faith is believing that the healing power of Jesus is stronger than that diagnosis that you got. Faith is knowing that Jesus will mend together a heart that is broken. Faith is believing that your finances are not the definition of your satisfaction and that when they feel unstable and when they take a hit, your world isn't going to crumble because you have a treasure in heaven. See, faith is steady. 
Faith leads to the anchor in the waves. And when we have faith, it leads to steadfastness. And when we are steadfast, we are all able to be unwavered by the waves and the storms that we are walking through. See, here's the deal. I I could close this morning by telling you a personal story of a trial that I walked through and how God delivered me from it. I could tell you about the heartbreaks that I've had to navigate. I could tell you about having to walk through the, the deaths of friends that have died by suicide. I could tell you about the family drama that I've had to walk through and the trials and the storms that that's brought about. I could tell you about how I've had these friends I've been super close to that have fallen away from faith and are now living lives that I know aren't for them. I could tell you about the insecurity that I've believed, the lies that have been whispered to me. I could tell you about the daily trials or the big struggles or the various trials in my life. But the reality is that my story isn't the only one with various trials. My story isn't it. You don't need hope from my story. The reality is that when I say the word storm or I say the word trial, we all have that moment in our mind, don't we? We all have that moment, that trial, that storm that we've had to walk through, that we've had to navigate. Maybe it's you, you're navigating it right now. Maybe you're still dealing with the wreckage from, the, from when you had to. Or maybe Jesus delivered to you and hallelujah, that's amazing. But we all have this moment in our mind, this storm, this trial that comes to mind when we think of various trials. You don't need more examples. You don't need more circumstances. Church, what we need is to believe what James is saying. What we need is to believe that Jesus is on the other side of the storm and he's every step of the way with us. What we need to know, what we need to believe is that every wave that hits us is nothing compared to the protection and the power of the cross. What we need to do is believe that the person of Jesus is who he says that he is, that he loves you, that he's for you, and that he will calm the storm around you. It makes me think of this moment back in the Gospels when Jesus is on a boat with his disciples. And there's a storm that's happening around them, probably like me on the boat. They're thinking, we're about to die. And Jesus is just sleeping in the basement of the boat. And his disciples come up to him and they're like, Jesus, Jesus, like, are you going to calm the storm? Like, we're about to die. What are you doing? Why are you asleep? And he looks at them and he says, hey, stop having such little faith. He calms the storm and life goes about as normal. Do you know that that same Jesus in that boat is available for you today? Do you know that that same power of Jesus is available for you today? And no matter how big and scary the storm around you is, no matter how deep and pain-filled and hurt-filled the trial you're walking through is right now, Jesus can calm the storm because he is bigger and he is greater. So I want to go back to verse 2 for a second. It says to count it all joy. Do you remember this? Count it all joy. So why do we have joy in trials? It's because Jesus has already overcome them. See, Jesus has already defeated death. Jesus has already defeated your shame. Jesus has already defeated your pain and your hurt and every insecurity and every doubt and every situation, every financial mishap, every family drama. Jesus has defeated it because he's defeated shame and he's defeated Satan and he's defeated the grave and he has risen to new life. Do you know this resurrected Jesus? 
Do you know the Jesus that James saw after he rose from the grave? And do you, have you looked at him and said, hey, I want to follow you. Do you believe? Do you have the faith to say that Jesus will be the anchor in your waves no matter what storm comes around you? See, he loves you. He is so for you. And he has created a way for us to have eternal life, eternal peace, eternal love, eternal purpose, eternal satisfaction that we can't even wrap our minds around. Even when you're in the trial, Jesus is there. Even when you feel like you're alone, Jesus is there. And I love what he promises, promises us. See, in, in verse 12, it says, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. See, when you stay in faith, when you lean on the anchor that is Jesus, you develop a faith of, that is steadfast and unwavering. Jesus leads you through that trial to life, not just a temporary relief. That's what we so often want, isn't it? Temporary relief. Hey, would you just, if I could just feel some land for a second, if I just let that pain go away for just a second, we just ask for temporary relief. No, 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 God's got more for you than that. He's got eternal hope and eternal life in him. So count it all joy. It's our call today. When trials hit us, when storms come our way, we need to look at them as followers of Jesus, coming and living from a different hope in him and see them as joyous opportunities. Because God is about to move. So I want for you to know is that trials, they may lead to mourning in the night, you might have hard seasons of life, but Jesus always guarantees dancing and joy in the morning. He always will. It might last for a second, but Jesus' love and his life and his purpose for you is eternal. So Stone Creek, when we experience trials of various kinds, let us approach them in joyful expectancy that Jesus would move and strengthen the foundation of our faith. He loves you. He is for you. Can we live in that different hope today? Can we live in that different life today? Can we begin to walk the walk that he's calling us to and not just be talkers? Let's pray together. Hey, Jesus, I love you so much. Well, I'm so grateful for you and the way that you move. I'm so grateful for the way, I mean, that, you, the way that you're in our storms and our situations. Jesus, I pray that we would never feel like we have to navigate them alone. But as followers of you, we would know that we're followers of a new hope, of a new life. Lord, I pray for every person in this room that if they're in a trial right now, they feel like they're in a storm and they're getting hit after wave after wave after wave. Lord, would you calm the storm for them? Lord, would you show them that you are a God who is an anchor in the waves and all we have to do is see you as the resurrected king and believe and follow you? Just I'm so grateful for that. Maybe for some of you in the room this morning, and you've never seen Jesus the way that James did after he rose from the grave. Maybe you're like James right now, and you've heard about the miraculous stories that he can do, and you, you've, you've heard about the peace that he's given people, and you've heard about the life change he's brought, but you've never experienced it for yourself. And maybe today it's time to come face to face with the risen King Jesus and say, hey, I want to follow you. Would you come into my situation? 
Would you come into my storm? Would you come into my life? If that's you and you want to give your life to Jesus for the first time today and never feel alone in your storm trapped by the waves again, would you just pray this prayer with me? Jesus, I love you. I believe in you. And I believe that you can calm my storm. Lord, thank you for, for rising from the grave for me and enduring every trial on earth so that I never have to go through trials alone. From this day forward, I promise to follow you. That's you. I just want to ask you to take a bold step of faith right now. I'm going to count to the count of three, and I just want you to lift your hand in the air if that was you in response to what Jesus has done. One, two, three. Yeah, come on. Jesus, we love you. We're so grateful for you. Lord, I pray that you would just strengthen us and move in this place today. Lord, help us as we go to our, through our trials and our storms. Just look to you and believe that you are the author of our faith and you bring salvation for our souls. It's in your beautiful name that we pray. Amen.